My name is Patrick Griffin. I'm a partner in a firm uh, called Griffin Williams, CPM, with uh, Maggie Williams. Um, our business for the last seven or eight years, and her a little less so since she's been up at Harvard, is working with um, um, people who are in a political space, helping them increase their effectiveness or creativity. Uh, it's not representing them before any entity. Uh, before that, I'm, as I said, I was a founder, a co-founder of the firm that we're in now. I had a lobbying firm for many years, but in, in intermittent times, I was the head of congressional affairs for President Clinton in his first term. Uh, then I went back as an advisor to President, I mean, Senator Daschle as majority and minority leader. And prior to that, I was uh, secretary to the Senate uh, under Senator Byrd's term. Okay. So during the during the issue of the assault weapons ban in the uh, first Clinton term, you were his head of congressional affairs. Correct. How did you How did you get that job? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, have, I was I was in Bratislava. Um, I, I'm on I'm on the board for many years of NDI National Democratic Institute, and I was uh, one of the things I'd like doing was going out and do trainings. And we and the wall had recently come down, and people were now wanting to know how to have not only elections, but civil society. And I was doing work there, and it was late November, early December. And, uh, and I got a call from uh, Mac McClarty and said that, uh, would you like to do this job? And I said, never even occurred to me. But see, prior to my lobbying, I had many years of experience on Capitol Hill, working for Senator Byrd, working on the Budget Committee, and ran the floor. So that's how where it bubbled up from. And I said that um, um, I would be interested, but I said I'm not lobbying for it, so either you offer it to me or not. And, uh, and then he said, well, can you come right back? And I said, no, I got a few more days of training and I'll be back. And then we met three or four days later. And uh, basically he, he offered it. I said, well, then I need to see the president. He said, oh, you'll see the president. And the, within a day, I then met with the president. Uh, I remember they brought me in and, uh, oh, and I said, oh, the one contingent was, I had to work out the deal with my partner. He had to get money to buy me out. And that, it wasn't going to be a, 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 a block, a, 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 it wasn't going to stop me. And uh, so that was worked out. And then I showed up one day, and, and I didn't realize that the executive office uh, had a, or the Oval had a little, kind of a little secret door there. They had many secret doors that we could talk about. <laughs> but uh, op the guy opens it up, Mac opens it up, and boom, you're in the Oval. And I felt like I was on a Saturday Night Live set. <laughs> Everything seemed larger. The people seemed larger and the things seemed smaller. And the president was there and he gave me a big, warm, charming welcome. And then Mrs. Clinton walked in and um, took a few minutes to say hi. And then we got right into talking about healthcare. And that was, it was wow. like a since this is an episode on the assault weapons <laughs> yeah, ban. We haven't gotten there yet. We haven't gotten there yet. Why don't you uh, tell us how it first got onto the legislative radar? Well, I mean, health care had its own force, right? Sure. That was, and it was Mrs. Clinton. Yeah. So that was that was, and it had its own controversies for any number of reasons, in addition to the ones I've so told you. Then there was kind of the regular order, which was the budget process, the appropriations process. Leon Panetta was still off in at OMB. There was some changes being um, explored about whether or not Mac was in the right, McClarty was in the right spot. When Leon came over. 
there was a kind of, um, I don't know if it was a reorganization, but a, the organization, you know, somebody grabbed it by the, the lapels and struck, tightened up the structure. And uh, one of the issues uh, that we were going to deal with was not the assault weapon ban, it was the crime bill. It wasn't a lot of talk about the assault. It only depended on who you were talking to <laughs> was uh, the assault weapon ban. And why the crime bill? Was it because he had ran because, yes, that way? It was a big part of, of President Clinton's re repositioning the Democratic Party on death penalty, on crime. Uh, you know, It was after the Dukakis debacle on all of that, Democrats were looking weak and flimsy and, and programmy, you know, so, yeah. and, uh, and, uh, and not strong fiscally. So he came in, did the fiscal piece, which was a real deal, and then uh, the crime was the next, crime was one of the other cornerstones along with ultimately welfare reform and health care. Did they talk about the assault weapons ban in, as much as they talked about the crime bill, or did, how did the assault weapons ban sort of bubble up? The crime, the, the assault weapons ban was like, anybody who knew anything about the Congress, again, thought this was a ridiculous idea, <laughs> uh, it, legislatively. But it was very difficult to say that because, and I think the president was hoping, I don't know, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it, it, it was, in, we knew it was explosive. But yet you couldn't say, I don't want to do the assault weapon ban because then it looked like you didn't want to do the assault weapon ban. So that was a bad thing. Why was it ridiculous? Like from Congress, just for our listeners who may not have been around. Because I think it was a general uh, appreciation of the power of the gun, um, gun rights guys. I think President Clinton, as a gun right kind of guy from Arkansas, didn't want to completely undermine that, try to go out of his way on several occasions to demonstrate his support of gun rights, but knew that this was going to turn everything upside down. Didn't you also have individuals, leaders in Congress who are really big gun rights guys or big, big NRA guys oh, on both was, sides? It, absolutely. They had completely, it was a completely bipartisan issue, heavy rural influence, uh, and that was part of the assessment. We go, oh, God, we're going to do this? Maybe, maybe we don't have to. And that was my feeling, <laughs> that maybe we don't have to. So did you try to, did you try to slow walk it, basically? That's how I was describing the Atlantic piece. I did try to slow walk it. Uh, I don't think President Clinton, I never asked President Clinton to slow walk yeah. it. Or are we doing this? I just kind of, I was kind of <laughs> hoping it went away. You know, it was like taxes. Will they catch up to me? Um, and that uh, turned out that it did catch up. Well, let's talk about that because it came up in a retreat, right? Diane Feinstein raised it to him. Man, oh man! Tell us that story. Tell us the story. We're out at um, I think it was Piney Point, wherever the Democratic uh, or the Labor guys had, and they always Democrats went out there. I think it was on Southern Maryland, someplace. And I briefed Clinton, you know, for the meeting, and and you know, we do all. the the prep books and all that stuff. And I, I didn't really put in anything about the assault weapon ban. It was in a footnote. Yeah. <laughs> I thought if I didn't write about it, it, would, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't come be, up. Wouldn't come up. <laughs> so we're sitting there, we're rapping, and Clinton's doing his speech, and, you know, and they're all loving it. They loved his presentations. They just weren't always confident about how it was going to play. And I'm sitting on, off to the side, and Feinstein, who is the chair, subcommittee chair of that committee with jurisdiction says, um, Mr. President, what do you think the status is of the 
assault weapon ban in the Senate. I'm saying, why would the chair of the subcommittee who has jurisdiction of that provision, and she was obviously for it, be asking the president this, other than to... And Clinton looks at me and says, Griffin, what, you know, he got pissed off that I had some, I embarrassed him, rather than saying, well, Madam Chairman, (laughs) you are, you know, what, maybe you could tell me. (laughs) He wasn't agile that way. So, uh... I kind of yelled up some stuff, and that really didn't go down well at all. And so the next morning, we were on the um, helicopter going back, which was a scene in itself because it got weather, didn't permit us to land, and we're flying around for hours and and uh, all sorts of weird stuff. And he says, why didn't you tell me? And Leon's with me. George is there. I think Harold might have been in, on, on the plane, too, uh, the helicopter. Why didn't you tell me about this? I said, you know, I, I kind of like took the first few blows. And finally said, I thought we were just going to kind of let this go of its own momentum. How dare you suggest that I, if, you know, people knew that I was anywhere but 100%. I'm looking at Leon. You know, nobody's a bastion of strength here saying everybody, everybody knew we didn't want to do this, right? <laughs> if we can get away with it. And I'm looking at them, nobody's stepping up, and I said, well, I guess I made a horrible, horrible mistake, and um, we're going to do whatever it takes to get this through. And then I I kind of made the point that this is going to have serious consequences, but we were now talking very grand, uber, high-minded politics of... Did anybody in the helicopter have your back? They were behind my back, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, not one... And Leon gave me a look, uh, empathetic look. That's okay. uh, Yeah. And then, and then um, I'm curious, like, why do you think Clinton was so agitated about this and so and so into pushing this, knowing all that? I don't know. He's such a complex guy, and you know, I I don't know. I think one is maybe it was a mistake that we hadn't really discussed it and said what the ups and sides, ups and downs were, and we should go for it, even though it's going to be hell. Uh, I think he didn't. He never likes not knowing more than everybody in the room. I think that pissed him off, and that, and I might have made a mistake in that. But I, but the handling of the issue was not mine to be <clears throat> determined alone. It was a a quiet consensus. Mm-hmm. And once it once it became <clears throat> once it becomes clear that the president himself now wants this is prioritizing this, is it just okay? That's it. There's no quibbling with that. You get out of the way. You do the job. There are some issues where you might have forced further deliberation. Clearly, I was not going to do that on that helicopter. Yeah. Um, There was no place. (laughs) You might have been out of the helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so, uh, and then I think it it wasn't like we need more facts. We knew the facts. Yeah. And and he had a sense of the politics. I don't think he had a sense of how how bad the politic political fallout was going to be. Sure. And we'll get to that. I think he, he just, you know, intuitively knew a lot about that stuff. Um, I think it was one of those things, yeah, you kind of knew that this is what he really... Sure. What arguments did he make on the helicopter ride for the assault weapons ban? Or what, or for this is, it? well, it's just about this is the right thing to do, and, you know, and, and how dare you put me in a position where I might look weak about this. You know, it was like, 
all of those. But it's interesting that he's saying all this as a Southern Democrat with a gun background and a right. It shocked me. It's very interesting, considering. I mean, well, there were many interesting exchanges with the president. You, you did describe the helicopter ride as weird. So what yes. happened on the helicopter ride that was weird? The uh, I believe it was, that was the one we we got off right before bad weather got in, and we then started playing hearts. But I remember the ride being about twenty minutes down, and now we're into this ride about an hour. And, and even Clinton's kind of looking around. It's very noisy in Marine One, the old one. I don't know what the new one is. And um, and the the body, his body guy, is kind of looking at him. And they made some kind of eye contact. He went to the guy with the carries of the football. And they both went to the pilots, and they came back and said, um, "We're we're working through weather." So we another half hour of weather. And and now you know we're still trying to play cards, but it, it's feeling a little weird, like what's going on. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the helicopter just takes this dive, out of out of the um, clouds, and within maybe 200 feet, there's the runway at National. It's pouring rain. There's nothing. The runway's shut down, and we're now coming down at it, and then leveling off. We level off, you know, maybe 20 feet above it. And we then uh, go take the, uh, we rise maybe up another to 50 feet and get over the fence and land outside of the White House. And, uh, you know, everybody runs off after that. And then I went and talked to, to Leon, and, and we all did, you know. But what we didn't know is that it was more dangerous than we had realized. The helicopter pilots were, were grounded and subsequently not even allowed to fly for the president again. Wow. Yeah. So we didn't know how much danger. I don't know. I don't know. It was it they didn't follow protocol or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if we were how how dangerous it was. But you could see beautifully above the clouds. But then we were in this. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you so now that this it's been set, you're going to push the assault weapons ban. Um, it's the president's uh, prerogative. You have to meet with the Democratic leadership on uh, on hill on the hill. What, what's the meeting like? That was a uh, um, that was a tough meeting. <laughs> that, <laughs> so we you know we're ready to go. We make we kind of develop our strategy. We're going to go in the House first, and we figured we can get it in the Senate. You know the crime bill itself was extremely uh, provocative, right? We had 28 new death penalties, federal death penalties that the Democrats were promoting, and the, the you know people weren't keeping score the way they are now in terms of who was disproportionately being clobbered in this. So. Uh, where the Black Caucus was going to go, and, and weren't they and, against the? They were. Against, I thought they were against it. They were, but we peeled we peeled many many off, and it wasn't necessarily on the merits, but we found ways to um, get support. But our our big problem was, well, first it started out. This is how it started. So we decided to do this. The president says, "Let's bring the leadership up." So it was Foley, Gephardt, and uh, Bonnier. And the president, the vice president's there, uh, Leon, I think George was there, and myself, Har- Harold might have been there as well. It might have been one of, I don't think it was many more. And um, it was a very kind of tight-ass kind of conversation. Everybody was like, this wasn't the big back-slapping type deal. And then um, 
the, the leadership said, well, we, we're glad to support you on the crime bill. We'll do what we can. But, and Foley said, I think it went this way. But Foley said something like, fact, but uh, we cannot um, accept doing the assault weapon ban um, uh, as part of it. And certainly as not as a, in the bill itself, which is what happened in the end, as opposed to adding it as an amendment. And it would have been all been night and day had they. This is important because if it had been added as an amendment, they would have helped us pass the crime bill. As a result of it being in the bill, the leadership said, "You're on your own. You have your own whip operation. We'll give you some space, but we're not do, lifting a finger to pass this bill." And so Leon and I had to build our own little uh, workshop there of you know developing um, uh, the, the 218. And, and so the interaction around that was tense, and these guys were adamant. We said, we're just not going to do it. And that was pretty unheard of, at least in that administration. I don't know. So you, go to, you actually have a physical space on Capitol Hill from which you're operating. They then said, I mean, they were pissed, and they said, <laughs> this is a mistake. They went through all the politics of it. They were right on in terms of politics. And we said, we don't disagree, you know. <laughs> but uh, we don't work for you. We work for the president. And uh, so they gave us, um, yeah, like an, um, an office, an, office yeah. an exterior office in the leadership suite. And did they, they, they took those concerns directly to President Clinton, too, right? Yeah, that was in that meeting. Oh, this was in the meeting. In that meeting, what he they say just pushed yeah, back. What did, what did Clinton say? And he pressed back and said, you know, I really think you're making a mistake. I think we need to do this. It's important for the party. You know, this is horrendous stuff. And he pressed, and then they, they, didn't, they didn't budge. That's why. And there was no smile, and it was a pretty tense deal. And they left, you know, uh, very cool, which was unusual yeah. in, in how most of those meetings went. So then what's your strategy going forward? Like, how do you, you set up shop in this office, and then what's your, what's your game plan? Well, we didn't know. So we, we, you get the 218, so that's the game plan. Yeah. And uh, we looked at what we had as a base, and which was the Liberal Caucus, which was smaller in some ways, because the, the moderates, the, the, they were blue dogs then, uh, were, were a big chunk um, of the Democratic Caucus. And, and so we did our math. We, we concluded that we got to keep all the liberals. We have to um, peel off a few, and we didn't know exactly the number of the Black Caucus to see if we can find some. And we had to get some Republicans, moderate Republicans that, that still existed at that time. And that was the framework. So Leon and I went to talk to Newt. And Newt knew we had a group of Republicans that wanted to vote for this, and he didn't really want it. To, he liked the, the, the schmaltz that it created for us, so he, he was pleased by our party being divided. So he said, sure, I'll help you. He says, I'm not going to do anything, but you can talk to Castle. Mike Castle from Mike Delaware. Castle. And uh, so I set that up for us. We, we talked with Mike Castle. We had then developed like a little moderate Republican caucus deal and went in and made the case and repeat and come back a couple of times and we got 40 votes out of the republicans so you're just you're just adding adding up did you think that or did you recognize that Newt was playing games with you at that point that he wanted to see you guys struggle here and keep the issue alive well i don't think he was he was uh, i don't think he was in control of anything i think he he enjoyed our struggle and it served his purpose, too, because he had a lot of Republicans 
that might have broken from him. He would have had to force, if it was the other way and we were working with the Democratic leadership to get to 218, he would be working to hold back as Republicans. This got him off of that, made him look generous. and It's just funny to me because in this modern congressional age, it's you assume from a, start, from a starting point that there will be no cooperation from the other side. And in this case... You had someone, a leader, and saying he's, he's selling advantage in. Yeah, we have an advantage here well, to cooperate. The, it was it was a different time, but I think the operating principle in both caucuses, even then, was let's see if we can pass this within our own caucus, and if we can't, say we get to two hundred or two ten, this is the House now, uh, we'll tweak it, whatever it is, to get that eighteen other Republicans. Um, that was a different approach to saying, let's go out with something that we work from the center out on. The, um, the, the, the Republicans' approach in recent 10, 20 years, like, uh, what's his name? Blanking on the speaker who just went to jail. Um, Tom DeLay? No, no. no, the other speaker. Oh, Hastert. The other speaker. DeLay was never speaker, but yeah, yeah. Hastert. Where I want a majority of the majority. And so he started locking down any idea of of working Republicans, and that hasn't, you know, they they haven't done, they do it, but they don't make So it what's it. your mindset here? You have, on the one hand, you've got to work with, you're working with Republican leaders to pick off their more moderate members. On the other hand, you have your own leaders who are like, please don't do this. And then on another hand, you have Congressional Black Caucus members who say, wow, we really don't like all these death penalty provisions here and a lot of the other stuff, but maybe you can sweeten the pot. Like, how do you, how do you juggle three different maybe even more constituencies. Well, you, um, I'm sorry. That's all right. You, uh, you just have to do it. I mean, you, you do what you have to do to get to 40. You know, the, we used to say we, the, uh, the candy store was a little more uh, open back then. You'd find little ways. <laughs> there, were, there were earmarks. There were earmarks. There were things that were the in the pipeline yeah, that you yeah. could loosen up. And you, there were planes, plane rides on Air Force One. There were state parts. <laughs> I mean, we sold anything, you know. And what was the most ridiculous <laughs> thing you had to do to get? It this was thing some done? member who wanted uh, us to invite him to a state dinner with his daughter, but he had no daughter. So that was the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My mind is exploding. Yeah. So wait, uh, did he have a a woman that he wanted to yes. pretend as his daughter? Yeah. But the most ridiculous wasn't that. The most ridiculous... <laughs> that wasn't the most ridiculous. Wait, hold on, wait, hold on it still, gets more ridiculous. He just didn't want us... He want, he, yes, he wanted to take his girlfriend. Yeah. Okay. Posing as his daughter. Yes. yes. Name names. This is, I, I I'm know. just joking. Now, what was, the, what was the more ridiculous one? The more ridiculous one <laughs> is... It, it, you won't believe this, but it, it, I think it's in that story. And it's in Leon's story. He gets a little off, but... So Richardson says, I can help you. He's not supposed this to be This is helped. Bill Richardson. Bill, yeah. But Bill Richardson just wants to be in the action, and, and, and he's a wonderful entrepreneurial kind of guy. And he says, I got a couple of the, for my buddies in the Black Caucus that I can help you with. So he gives us, I can't remember. She was from Detroit. Kirkpatrick? No, Meeks. Was there a Meeks? No, Meeks was Florida. Florida. What's There's another one, though. There was two that had the same name. Anyway, she was, it was in a district that was uh, adjacent to Bonniers. Okay. And uh, so Richardson allows us to use his little tadpole-shaped office for this meeting. And she's sitting at his desk. He's standing behind her, which is only about like two feet, three feet. 
and I'm sitting here, and Leon's making calls, and we're literally, you know, paper rolling around, and and I don't know if we had any secretarial support. We we must have. But it was really a kind of a on-the-fly operation. And so she says to me, I had a dream. And I said, I said she says, I had a dream, and, and Jesus came to me and said that um, if you can get this Indian casino opened and get the jobs that my people need, I could find a way to do what's important on protecting crime. Oh, Jesus works in mysterious ways. Yes, that's why I said, I said, yeah, I hear you, I hear you. <laughs> and she went on, and it was quite, you know, she wasn't in a trance, but she kind of had this looking up, because I couldn't look at it. <laughs> <laughs> were you afraid you were going to, like, burst out laughing? Or oh, and, and Richardson is behind me making all these faces, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, she's she's since lost and anything. So she said she want the the um, at that time I don't know if you remember the, or we would are aware of the the compacts were a big thing. It was just when um, uh, reservations were working with the government to go through this process <laughs> of becoming truly independent, not not truly independent where they can do commercial stuff, and and it was stuck someplace and. Uh, and she's saying, you know, I, I, believe, I believe Jesus would be okay with this. I said, I know we would be okay. <laughs> I said, but let me check with Leon. So uh, I'm, I'm just dying. So I go outside. Leon's, you know, doing the same thing with somebody else. And, and I said to Leon, I said, this is the deal. And he, he looks at me and he goes, what, is, what do we have to do? I said, I have to call Babbitt. And Babbitt obviously didn't think it was a good idea. Who's, who's Babbitt? Uh, Secretary Spanish. of Interior, Just who had um, jurisdiction over these issues. And um, so I call him up, and I said, and the Secretary, we need to um, um, move through the next pro- or to We need you to at least facilitate this next move. It wasn't given any, any um, certainty to it, but at least got the thing down the road. And he just went batshit on the phone. He, <laughs> I said, Leon, he's upset. He said, <laughs> he said, he's not going to be more upset than I am if we don't move this through. And as we're doing this, Bonnier comes walking over, because we're in this kind of open room, who's spent most of the last couple of years trying to fight this. And we're giving it away in front of him. And he's just like this. And I just said to David, sorry, buddy. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we signed it on to the next step. It never went much further than that, and we got our vote. And so, this is wow. all for a bill that you internally are like, it's going to be a disaster for this well, party. Well, remember, though, we were we thought the crime bill was really important. Sure. Bill. We sure. really, really did. And I think I thought the president's positioning on that, I thought that was, that was part of who he really was. Sure. But were there anything that members of Congress had asked for that you were like, we can't, there's no way, this is ridiculous? There might have been, but it, you don't get shocked ever by the ask. You just say, what can you do that's ethical? You know, it would be the same thing if you're in the White House, if, and it happened to me all the time. People would call me as Ledge Affairs or my deputies and say, you know, this thing is stocked up in DOT. I really need, and you'd call up. I mean, that was your job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, it, it all seemed... Um, consistent with how we what we sure. were doing. And, and you, you would say that people would... I mean, did anybody sign on to the bill just for the a plane ride on Air Force One? No, they never presented that way. Okay. They'd say, you know, I'd love to be helpful, you know, yeah. and I think I can really make this work. And I'm, you know, and they go on and then they say, well, by the way, you know, it would really be nice if I can meet the president the next time he comes out there. I can speak to my supporters and maybe I can get on the plane here. And 
and you can see what's going on. And yeah. I said, sure. So, <laughs> so the bill comes to the floor. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Crime bill comes to the floor without the assault weapons ban, and then no, it's in there. It's it in is. there, and then okay. they were going to take it out. The intent was to take it out, and that fails. Well, the truth, the truth. No, it, uh, I don't know what. All I remember is the day when it was when Schumer it won, so Schumer, prevailed by one vote. Yes, and now the Atlantic article uh, says, and I'll quote it: "The crime bill came to the floor without the assault ban. The intent was to have Charles Schumer offer the ban as an amendment." So they must have taken it out of committee. Okay. I'm, I'm okay. Either way, it goes to the vote. Our our bill that we sent had the crime bill. Okay. That, I mean, had it in there. What Brooks did. <coughs> This is Mo Brooks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And we'll figure all this out. The day of the vote, tell me what your oh, day is like. I'm not. Uh, it's a big dang deal, right? Yeah. One, it's the crime bill, but I know it's going to be about this. So I'm sitting in my office, and my staff said, "You really got to go up there." I said, "I cannot, I cannot go up there." <laughs> you know, and I didn't go up there for every bill, or you know, but it, but many times, if it was something important, you'd be outside the floor and shake hands and thank them. And all. I said, I just can't do it. Yeah. I just can't do it. And uh, finally, they prevailed. And said, you got to do it. So they, we drove up, and I was standing outside. I remember I don't remember which door, and the vote. I was sick to my stomach. I just had this terrible, terrible feeling about where this was going to go. And um, and the amendment prevailed, and Schumer was the first guy out and he was sweating and you know only like Schumer could <laughs> and I could barely congratulate him and uh, and then that's then the rest of it was you know then it was about um, the ha the Senate and you said you had your fingers crossed hoping that they were gonna lose yeah I did I was I would even though that would have meant the death of the crime bill potentially? No, no, I don't think it would have meant the death. I think the crime bill would have gotten easier and easier. It wouldn't, this issue became a, a complicating uh, factor in the Senate, uh, among other things. No, I think it would have. It, but, but what had been unfortunate is the president had now gotten some profile on it, and that would have been unfortunate. But I thought that the consequences outweighed. So Schumer comes out. In his Schumer-esque fashion, what are the facial expressions of maybe some of the more reluctant Democrats? Did you talk to them after it passed? Uh, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. I mean, most people are, like, elated. I mean, people, Rom, uh, I got a picture of Rom in my arms, I think, and um, saying, you know, people had worked hard, on again, on the crime bill, right, working yeah. with many, many moving parts here. Police, Rahm did this. It was kind of his rehab in the White House. And I helped, I think I helped him that way, get him involved in, in stuff. And he made a great contribution uh, to getting that police piece in place on crime and I think even on the guns part. So mostly everybody's like jumping for joy. And I'm walking around like a zombie. But, but nobody, you know, really gave a damn what my feelings were. So I went back to the office, and I had got a call from uh, Congressman Brooks, who uh, the congressman for Texas, the chairman of that committee, said, "Well, you've just lost me my seat." And and he and I had a good relationship, and and I said, "Well, you know, we can. You voted against him. The president doesn't want you to do anything that you, uh, you know, going forward that would do anything to jeopardize you. And if we come back from the conference and all this, 
And he was just really down, down. And let's step back for a second. This is a guy who's been in office for 45, I don't remember how long, but a long time. Like that. This is an institution, this man. And he had known in that moment he, said, you, he was done. My seat's done. And so I, I went down to the president, and um, Betty Curry was there. I said, I'd like to speak to the president. And she says, well, he's tied up. What do you want? I said, I really like Nicole Brooks. He's really bummed out. Maybe the president could cheer him up. Next thing, I get a call. The president wants to see you right now. And, and outside the promenade, people are still dancing and all this stuff. And I walk in, and he says, you finished partying? And I said, I haven't partied, Mr. President. I, I don't see anything to party about. He says, why the hell did you have me call Brooks? <laughs> he said, he's really upset. I said, well, that was why I had you call him. Yeah. And, you know, so it reflected his anxiety, he, knowing what was, it wasn't going to get better from there. So. Did he seem surprised? No, we surprised that I was stupid enough to ask him to call <laughs> Brooke, I think that was a real, another great move on my part. So now you still have the Senate, though, right? The Senate, uh, yeah, but a different kind of battle in a way. We thought we should start the process in the Senate by bringing the Democratic leadership over to meet with the Senate leadership, and that meeting, first meeting convened in Mitchell's office, who was the majority, majority leader at the time. And, uh, and the... And it had Foley, Gephardt, and Bonnier, I believe, Leon, myself, I don't know who else, and, and I'm sure Mitchell had other people in the room, but it wasn't a big room, big meeting. And all I remember is, is you're, I'm looking across at Foley, those windows are behind us, and Foley really is not looking happy at all. He's just, he had a kind of glum look anyway, but he's, he was a funny guy and a good guy, but he was really kind of lumping there, and all of a sudden, thunder and lightning starts going off where the light is coming through these windows, lightening up this, lighting up this, this uh, conference room. And Foley goes, he says, says I told you. It was like, it was like, the, it was like his whole statement. You know, there, there seemed to be a lot of signs from above here. Yeah, you had, uh, the, you Jesus, had the, yeah, you had the, the bad weather ride. and the helicopter ride. You had Jesus, Jesus. asking you for something. Yeah, I think that was exactly where Foley was. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know what? What more could I say? Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so the Senate was a different calculus, though. Yeah. Uh, the I think we felt we had more support for the crime bill generally, and I think we felt we had uh, that the assault weapon ban was in better shape. We didn't certainly didn't have the leadership saying we're not going to do anything to help you, if, and they were okay with keeping it in. It was going to now be a matter of protecting taking it out. But the strategy really wasn't about the assault weapon ban exclusively. It was really about getting the bill through. What we didn't expect, but got wind of right away, is that Dole decided to filibuster the bill on the assault weapon ban and other, other matters. So it was more traditional uh, Republicans saying, if you want it, we're not going to give it to you. And I think we had several votes on it. I don't remember precisely. At least two, maybe three. And, you know, we were making a very compelling case, again, not on assault weapon ban, but on the importance of the bill, using all the Republican rhetoric on tough on crime. So they were getting a little squirrely. Uh, so squirrely that I get this call in my office from Nancy Kassebaum. And she says, Patrick, uh, and I knew her from when I worked up Explain there. Explain who she is. Nancy Kassebaum was the other senator from 
Kansas, the junior senator from Kansas, uh, where Senator Dole was also from. And I don't know if she was on a particular committee, but we weren't dealing with committee. We were on the floor. And she said, um, uh, I know my colleague, Senator Bob, is, is going to be very upset with me, but she says, I think what we're doing is wrong, and uh, I need to be able to switch. I, I am going to switch my vote and support cloture. Now, I don't know whether that brought a vote or two. I can't remember the exact count, but it, it was the difference. And, and so we, uh, we went to the floor, and, and Senator Doe was upset, but he, you know, he handled himself in a pretty judicious way. Uh, so you didn't see a scene there, and, and it's pretty hard yelling at a woman uh, back then. And um, so the bill passed. But it, it, it went on up until the August break, I think it was. The decision to sunset the assault weapons ban, make it go away after 10 years, do you recall why that was made and how it was made? Um, I just think it was, a, 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 at that time, viewed as a modest concession I don't. I don't recall it being a big deal. I mean, I think did it was it in the bill or was it something that came out of co uh, I conference? I I it ended up being a big deal. Yeah, sure did. Sure did. Um, but it wasn't. It wasn't a anything that we were big f fighting about. I'm just trying to remember because in the conference, my memory is a little more vague. But that went on. Seemed like it went on forever as well. And. Uh, and um, there might have been some concessions in that that I, I don't sure. recall. I remember a great conversation from John Dingle, who I think supported the conference report, called me at my office and said, Pat, are you lying to me about this bill? And I forgot some provision. I said, Mr. Chairman, I would, I would never do that. And, uh, and give me the questions and I'll double check, but I believe this is what our you know what the elements are and how this would be played out. That was, he says, I want us what he says. I'm in tears, I'm in tears and torn about whether I should do this. He says, I'm a lifelong member of the NRA. This is such a kind of uh, tearing experience for me. Um, so please don't lie to me. And I got him the information, and we weren't. And, and then you know, so once we got the conference report, it was zip. What were his questions? I remember they were very technical questions. You remember it had all these, uh, you know, elements around the bullets and all that stuff. I think Sunset might have been one of his issues and how that would work. But it was stuff that I would not readily know on the uh, technical constraints. That did we, he end up supporting the bill? Yeah, I believe he did. I did. Wow. He did. Um, so it passes. It becomes law. Um, how? How quickly did you see the political fallout of it? I know well, you're a Hill guy, but you might have had conversations. Oh, people were pissed. I mean, there was no question. But that, that was part of my job is, you know, catching spears all the time. So sure. they were angry with us on a lot of things all the time. You know, they still hadn't given up the budget fight the previous year. We have white water now surfacing. Uh, the Republicans are driving that. And well, were they coming back to you after, and this is after it's passed, it's signed into law, were they coming back to you being like, hey, I told you this was going to be a deal, now look at what I'm getting in. Well, nobody, nobody really, they just said it was a d dumb deal. Several guys or gals said this is really going to give me the hardest race of my life. 
no one was as clear as Brooks were was yeah. and said, I'm, I'm done. Did people come back later in the election cycle with polling showing they were down or that this issue was a, a factor? No, I think what happened is that they just turned away from us and, and it was about saving themselves. And then, yeah. then the healthcare thing is a parallel universe or reality. And that was taking us down as we could not get off any traction off of that. Uh, our outside polling was saying, get away from healthcare and try to refocus going into the election. And um, so people were beginning, getting increasingly afraid that it was going to be Armageddon. And, and it, it was. was. Did one race surprise you among on the mall? Perhaps maybe Foley losing was a shock to your system. I think the Foley, uh, y yes, but if you thought about it, no. But he had some kind, he was very sober about it as well. But, yeah, I guess it, it had a real shocking... I don't recall a leader... We, no one rec had recalled a leader losing in a, an election, I think. And he was such a good guy, and everybody... president loved him, everybody loved him. From a historical perspective, a lot of uh, factors are attributed to the apocalyptical showing that Democrats had in the 94 elections. How much do you think the assault weapons ban contributed uh, in relation to the others? I, I would say it was a major contributor, but not determinative. I think there were, we were, one, what we didn't realize is that we were in these kind of cycles where if a president wins big supermajorities, they're very difficult to sustain in their off-year election. So I think that was a phenomenon that was not quite as clear. I think the health care um, loss really kind of set us on a wrong path. And then I think this made it very, very tangible to a lot of people. I think without the other two, and if we were winning, I think we still would have had big losses. But I think combined, it was um, uh, a pretty, you know, miserable combat. What is it? The uh, perfect storm kind of thing. And then there was a lack of trust, which the Republicans were using now, scandal, trying to sure. undermine mm -hmm. President Clinton's uh, credibility. You, I mean, do you think a president should bring up, a, like, an assault weapons bill again? Or do you think it would it'd be a mistake? Is there a way to do it? I don't think assault weapons, no. I, I, I don't see it. I think they got to keep trying on something. I mean, uh, I mean, the things we're arguing for now are just, you know, it, it seems to be pretty much on the mar margins. But if you have any attempt to work on this mental health piece or you know, we made one other attempt on a check of working against the NRA, which was after the Muir building uh, blew up. And the president said, look, we're not going to go out there and try to do some other crazy thing on taking on the NRA. And all he asked for in as a result was if we could add tagants in gunpowder so that when it was used, you at least know where it was manufactured. And the NRA fought that tooth and nail, and then I think, you know, continued on Columbine and, and so on. So I, 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 I don't see how it changes. And <clears throat> well, that's a, well, that actually raises a question for me, which is, how do you think the uh, fallout of the assault weapons ban changed President Clinton's thinking about gun control legislation or any policies that overlapped with NRA interests? Well, I think it informed everyone, but I don't think even... I don't think anyone realized how tight a control the NRA was developing. I mean, I'm not sure they did, you know. So it was easy to say, oh, maybe we overreached, but maybe what we need to do is tweak it back. 
but there was no tweak. I mean, tagging and, and ammunition. You that know, seems really minor. <laughs> yeah, killing 24, shooting little babies in the face. Nobody blinks in Sandy Hook. I mean, there, there's... So I think we've... Something happened then, but something bigger was happening that uh, proved itself out over time. 